Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. That's greenlight.com odyssey. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We're doing a special episode today on the horrific sexual crimes and the abuse against women and children in the Amish community. Because the Amish are so secretive and private, these crimes are rarely reported to police. And if they are reported, some police departments will let the Amish church leaders handle the justice themselves. Today, we will tell you the story of an Indiana mother who has been ostracized and shunned by her own family and friends for calling the police on her abusive husband. They blame her for the abuse, not him. This young mother stood strong, fought back, and got her abusive husband convicted and sent to prison. It is an unbelievable story. We are recording this on April 5th of 2023. This podcast is a follow-up to one of our most downloaded and viewed episodes ever. You may recall that two and a half years ago, we uncovered a series of horrific sexual assaults against a 12-year-old girl in Missouri who was repeatedly attacked by her four brothers. She became pregnant and she gave birth at the age of 13. It was the doctor who called police. The two brothers, Petey and Aaron Schwartz, were charged, but about to walk away with no prison time as part of a sweet plea deal because the prosecutor actually said they had been punished enough by the Amish themselves. Are you kidding me? That podcast outraged all of you. It is our most downloaded and viewed episode ever with nearly two and a half million views on YouTube. So today, we're back with an update on what is really going on inside some Amish groups that will shock you. After that podcast, former homicide detective Louis Bolaños and I began our own investigation. We even traveled to Indiana and Ohio last summer in July of 2022 to meet with current and former Amish people trying to help and rescue victims. 
Many of you know Lewis, who is a frequent contributor to this program. Lewis is also a private investigator who runs Get Bit Investigations. He's a former homicide detective. He also volunteers much of his time as a victim advocate. Lewis, welcome back. I am so excited to talk about this with you today. Yeah, so am I. Thank you so much for having me again, Anna. This this case is so personal to me now and, and to you. I'm so happy we're getting to update uh, our audience on this. It's been an amazing, as you said, two and a half years. Hard to believe. Um, but I, I can't believe how close I came to not being part of that episode. Uh, and I'm so glad I was because it, it truly changed my life, as I know it did yours. It really has. We, we've started on, it's almost like a crusade. After that podcast was released, the amount of calls for help were overwhelming. Many of them went to you. You ended up setting up a hotline. We ended up doing some advocacy work for some of the survivors who were really challenged within a legal system, which is foreign to them. You know, they live a very simple life, the Amish. And it's taken several years, but because of this, Lewis, we've built an incredible level of trust with some key people in this community who are running safe houses, who are running operations to get women and children out of dangerous situations, amazing police and prosecutors who get it and understand the difficulty of working within such a secretive community. But th the kinds of crimes we uncovered, Lewis, are, are horrific. I mean, we're talking ab about abusive women, abusive children, boys. We're, we're talking also about drug abuse. We're talking about these unaccredited mental behavioral facilities, which are run by different church groups and, and, and survivors or victims are sent there to be reprogrammed because they're the problem as opposed to dealing with the abuser. This is insanity. Yeah, these places actually exist and really the mental adjustment centers. Right. And the adjustment is toward and focused on the victim of the crime, whether it's a woman or a child, to get them to see the way of the church. And I, I'm careful calling this a church, but that's the banner they're flying under right now. That's a whole other issue. We'll dig into that in, in a little bit. Yeah. And we do want to be clear. Look, there are beautiful, wonderful Amish churches and communities, and it is a peace-loving group, um, very respectful for the most part, without question. But then there are these groups within there that are, you know, I talk about it this way. You want to live like it's the 16 and 1700s, right? Well, that also means that the attitude toward your rights as a human being, as a woman or a child, means that's how you're being treated. And that's the problem. That's the disconnect. Absolutely. Based on that last podcast uh, that we did over two and a half years ago, I have probably received over 200 calls uh, on the hotline that we put out. And one of the common threads I saw and heard from these folks that were still within the Amish community and those that had escaped, that's their common term, escaped, was <laughs> that these communities that they were associated with prioritized man first horse second, woman, child, third. That's yes. their belief. And I hear that from different factions of Amish communities throughout the country. What year is this? Well, it's 2023, and this is still going on. It's it's incredible. It, it 
It is shocking, I think, the time we've had. And for us to be there, to physically be in these Amish communities in Indiana and Ohio, even though we've we've been talking to people from all over the country, really helped us to understand everything in real time. You know, um, they really do travel in buggies. Um, he, you know, their limited communication with people it was a very interesting time for us. It was very eye-opening. Um, we want to continue on this path of shedding a light on this because we we believe that change is possible. Justice is important. We must have not several justice systems. There's a justice system for one. You you cannot decide that you will take justice into your own hands. And there there has to be a better way. And because of these, you know, some really aggressive prosecutors, we're seeing some changes. Uh, the case we're going to talk to um, about, um, we're going to talk about that mom in Indiana, Elizabeth Hilty, who Lewis and I got to know very well. What's important there is what a maverick she was to take on this case and file charges. And she was supported by the prosecutors and the police. Other women have not had that level of support. So when you hear her story, you she's going to take us through with great frankness and you know we've been to her house uh, she's a lovely lovely woman and such a strong woman so we're going to talk about that case we're going to talk to her first and then afterwards lewis and i are going to have a conversation about a case that we've been watching out of indiana and it, it's a really powerful one because it shows the power of amish churches and bishops it's a case of intimidation a maverick prosecutor in elkhart county charged three Amish bishops with intimidation because they went to this woman's house, a mother and a wife. She got a restraining order against her abusive husband, abusing her and her children. These bishops threatened her, told her to drop the restraining order. This is all came out in court. They've been convicted. And according to what happened in court, they said, yes, we told her. We asked her to drop the restraining order, bring her husband back in to the house because this marriage must be saved. It is God's will. And and it's shocking. Can you imagine? Yeah, Can you imagine? That's amazing. Thank goodness for this maverick prosecutor, as you call her. Um, she's doing something that has never been done before. But we have seen this before where church leaders in the Amish communities will come in and dictate as best they can how our criminal justice system should treat their cases. And sometimes you don't have mavericks like this uh, uh, right. spearheading the justice system. You have people that will tell you and they've told me specifically or I call them and talk to them about specific cases. This is the Amish community. This is how we have always handled it. This is the way it will always be. And I just shake my head. Um, as long as you're in charge, you're right. That's the way this is going to remain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to spotlight that as well. So let, let's get to our first guest, Elizabeth Hilty, who's an amazing human being. So we met her in Indiana. We'd been talking to her for a year and finally met her last summer. Elizabeth Hilty is a mother of seven, all boys, <laughs> a beautiful family. And she is really brave because after years of abuse, she finally called the police and had her husband, Willis Hilty, arrested. She was eight and a half months pregnant when he sexually assaulted her. She didn't even have a phone to call the police. She had to walk across to a neighbor's house to get a phone, call for help. And that call 
changed her life, saved her life, saved her boys' lives without question. He was prosecuted, convicted, went to prison, is now a registered sex offender. But you're going to hear Elizabeth's story. We're going to bring her on now. Elizabeth, it is so good to see you again. How are you? I'm good. I've never been better. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can see it in your face, Elizabeth. I can see it in your face. You you're you have so much light in your eyes and your face. When we saw you, you had just left the Amish community maybe something like three weeks. Not very long. <laughs> no. No, it was just an incredible time in your life. There were so many changes. Um Elizabeth, you've been very, very frank about your story, and it has cost you dearly in many ways. Relationships, a very difficult time with your parents. Um, Let's just kind of start at the beginning. Um, When you first met your husband, Willis Hilty, I believe that was around something like June of 2007. Uh, Did you meet at a church group, or how did you meet? No, that's when we got married. We met four years prior to that, and we met at um, the youth group, our youth gatherings that we had. And he was very charming. Um, I never expected him to be abusive. That was, I didn't know that existed. My dad was not perfect, but he was a great man, treated my mother with respect. Him and my mom loved each other. They treated each other with respect as well. And I grew up in a great home. So that was something foreign to me in having abuse. I didn't know. I heard stories, but I'd never personally experienced it or known that it truly existed like that. Yeah, I find that so fascinating because we said at the beginning here, we want to be clear. We, we're not painting a broad brush here Mm -hmm. of the Amish community, because your experience has been a beautiful experience growing up Amish in a truly Mm -hmm. loving family. And that's all you've ever known is love and safety. And so to then marry a man who you say then became a monster. Now, did Willis come from a prominent family? Was this a marriage? Like, were you in love with him? Was it arranged? Was was he a, a good catch, you know, in the, in the world of the it Amish? Was, it, wasn't, it wasn't arranged. It was just a good catch. I mean, I had no idea that he was what he was, that he was a narcissist and antisocial personality person. Because he had, he was diagnosed with both of those personality disorders. So, like when we were dating, he treated me with all kinds of gifts, and he treated me like a queen. Up until right before we got married, um, he told me one time that he can be very bullheaded, stubborn, and I just kind of shrugged it off. Until after I was married, I a couple years, I started finding out these things. And I was like, why did I not know? Well, I didn't know. I wasn't educated. I had no idea what kind of things actually happened. And my dad was very protective of us, of me and my siblings. He wouldn't let us go to certain places um, for the night or be there without him and my mom because of 
not trusting some people. And he said he doesn't want anything bad happening to us was his way of saying that he didn't want us sexually abused. So my dad and mom were very protective of us as well. So I didn't know, you know, I grew up in a sheltered home of not knowing what all actually happened in other homes. And here I had friends that were experiencing abuse and being molested by their own father or brothers. And I, I had no idea. And I get married and I seen right away what I married into that he was just a monster. And, you know, I clung to the hope that someday he'll change. And I blamed myself and thought if I would just be a better person or a better wife and mother. And it didn't help that the ministers, the bishop, they would come over and tell me the exact same thing, that if you would just maybe do this and this, be a better wife, um, listen to him, let him be the head of the home instead of running, running out in front of him and trying to do the man's job which in turn, I was just trying to protect my kids. You know, we we want to be very respectful of everything that's happened here, but can you mm-hmm. just give us an idea of the level of abuse? Yes. He was very abusive sexually, physically, pretty much in every way that you can think of. He was abusive uh, financially, emotionally, verbally. But probably the worst was the sexual abuse that I experienced where he would force sex on me, which I didn't know at the time that the word rape consisted within a marriage. The first time I heard that is when the sergeant, when I explained to the sergeant what happened to me when he came to pick me and my boys up in 2017. And he told me, he said, do you know what this, what you just described to me? And I told him, Well, no. And he said, it's called rape. And that just hit a light bulb in me. And I was like, really? I have been having this all my marriage. When I was pregnant with my oldest son, um, my water broke. But the labor didn't go on. It was false labor. So the midwife sent me home and she told me to just keep myself really clean and sanitized so I don't get infection. And with that came no sex as well. And obviously I didn't feel good either, but that didn't mean anything to Willis. He still had to have it. I'm so sorry, Elizabeth. And after a baby was born, I always knew that his first goal was to get me pregnant again. And I used to not understand that. But as time went by, and then looking back, I do. I think it came from him knowing that I didn't feel good. I didn't have the strength to defend myself. He could literally manipulate me however he wanted to. And I would just give up. Until one day, I had enough. And so I... I went and got the dictionary and I read the definition of rape to him, which said any forceful action, 
sexual action taken against a female, which it shouldn't just say female, it should also say male because it can be done to males as well. But through that, he got really mad and irate and he started slapping me and shoving me around. And this was in front of my four, four-year-old and five-year-old son, my two oldest at the time. And he ended up throwing a sad iron that had me pinned in a corner and had his hand over my mouth. And I, um, I could have bit him and I was ready to. And I heard, and I say it was God, tell me, don't do it. You will only make it escalate. And I didn't, I don't remember how I got away, but he didn't leave, stop there. He started kicking me from behind and then ended up slamming me into the wall, which left an indentation in the drywall where my head hit. And after that, I forever had bad headaches. And to this day, I still deal with neck and neck issues and headaches that come from that. But after that, um, he was shunned by the church for what he did. And at that point, the ministers didn't shun me. They told me I know what happened. But the bishop was his uncle. His dad, um, the bishop's wife was his dad's sister. So through that, there was family involved and they, of course, sided in with each other. But I, after that, I started doing my own research on, you know, what, what is happening? Why, why does this, do these things keep happening? Because it was like every year, one episode would just be worse than the year before. And then I would get the newspaper, the burn um, tri-weekly through the mail and they would have articles printed in there about domestic violence. And that's where I started educating myself on, it was through papers and stuff that came through the mail. That's pretty much all I could get my hands on. And then God sent some kind people, Amish people, um, Dave and Lena Chuck from Topeka, Indiana into my life. And that changed it forever. They connected me with Rose Miller. Oh, she's great. From LaGrange, Indiana. And I talked with her for two years before I ever left. But I had an awesome neighbor lady. Um, she would let me come over and use the phone if I needed to. And sometimes I would be there for an hour um, just talking to Rose and trying to get through all of this. So just for people who are following along with your case here, so Rose Miller at the time was the executive director of a local domestic violence center in your area. and Yes. Yeah, and Rose was your lifeline that made it possible to give you the courage, the support, and the system for you to leave when you needed to. But imagine how, you know, women outside of the Amish community at least have a basic understanding, right? Most of us mm -hmm. can find the resources. But for you, it was a totally different challenge to it find was. someone who could not only support you, but understand 
the nuances of the culture that you come from and be respectful to your needs and how you need to also live and exit. And I, I remember telling Rose, you know, she kept asking me, you know, how long I'm going to stay, you know, and take this. And I, I remember telling her, well, if, if I report anything or leave, somebody's going to get it. And meaning, you know, some form of punishment or retaliation is going to happen from the Amish church to someone. And she would tell me, you've got to change that thinking. Because if you look at it like that, you're never going to step out for help. But she would never tell me what I should be doing. She would give me advice, you know, and what I could do and couldn't. But I finally was, went through um, Rest Haven in Goshen, Indiana at Oak Lawn. And through there, um, they helped me out a lot. I was diagnosed with severe major depressive disorder, PTSD, and high anxiety. And I remember the doctor asking me, um, now, what are you going to do about this? And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm not playing the blame game. I'm going to recover from all of this. And he said, great, because if you play the blame game, you'll stay where you are and you'll never get better. You're going to blame Willis for this. He said, which in turn, it is his fault that you are where you are, but don't just leave it there. Take responsibility for the depression, the PTSD, seek out help and build yourself up, build your backbone. And that's exactly what I did. And not even a year later, I left. I and called the police. Tell us I about left, that, Elizabeth. So tell um, us about that, Elizabeth, because that's such a pivotal moment. This was the last time he ever laid a hand on you. Yes, it you, was. You went to um, your neighbors. It was on a Saturday. Um, he wanted he wanted sex. And I, keeping this in mind, I was eight and a half months pregnant. I didn't feel good. So during the night, at some point, I went into my boy's bedroom. We had two bedrooms, a two-bedroom home. And I moved all of them into the full-size bed, and I slept in the half bed. And in the morning, he came into the bedroom, never closed the door. The boys weren't in there anymore, but they were playing in the living room. And he never closed the door. And I told him that I don't feel good. And he forced himself on me on a half bed. I was between him and the wall. And after he was done, I could hardly walk for the rest of the day. I just hurt. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I had talked to um, Adams Wells Crisis Center, the women's shelter prior to that, and had told them, you know, about my situation at some point that I might um, all of a sudden call and need to come in. So... Next day was Sunday. I went, we went to church and I started gathering my things together and making preparations to call. And I called Adams Wells Crisis Center and they told me they would call the police. And they didn't. 
They said that the police need to hear from me personally in order to come out and pick me up. So I was like, you guys are really putting me in a bind because I had so hope like they would do it so I can tell the Amish church. Well, I didn't call the police. It was just a roundabout way that I thought I could get around it. Because but, Elizabeth, help us understand the fear here and the repercussions and the pressure you were under. Why that, why that pressure was keeping you from making the call to police. Because I knew I would be shunned. I, I would be shunned from my family, from everything. So that was a real fear because in the Amish, the shunning is considered as cutting you off from God, which I know better now. But at the time, I was still under that huge fear of not, I didn't know all of that. But I ended up the next morning on Wednesday morning, um, calling the police after Willis left for work. And the sergeant told me to stay where I am until he gets there and not go back home. And I told him, well, he is not home at all. He is at work and I will go back home and I will be okay. So him and another officer came out and I don't know why I was thinking that he would he would come back later to pick me up and give me a time. But after he had me in his car and I gave him a report on why I wanted to leave, then he told me, he said, we're not leaving without you. It's too dangerous. So I gathered up just the bare necessities for me and my boys. And I had six at the time because I was eight and a half months pregnant. And we had two police officers, sergeant and another one of his guys that took us into sheriff cars to the women's shelter. Then the detect, the sergeant took me to talk to the detective. And they did a recording on me and why I left or wanted help in getting away. Then later on that day, they took me to the sexual assault center in Fort Wayne, where they did DNA testing. And I was very hesitant to do that because I was pregnant. And I asked him, you know, what's the purpose of this? And the detective told me, it's so there's proof in front of the judge. It's not just your word against Willis's word. He said, if you do DNA testing, these people are trained for this kind of work. They will be very gentle with you and not do some things they normally would because of you being pregnant. He said, but they can detect things that normal people never will detect. It's, uh, Lewis, it's like, uh, it's an, a special examination that shows if there was force, struggle, yeah. bruising, tearing, Right, or any forensic evidence left of any kind, whether it's semen or clothing. There's so many yeah. traces, things to be left behind. But I keep, Elizabeth, you're amazing. You are a superwoman, superhuman, super mom. Every time you had a question about anything, you never waited. You went and educated yourself. 
something as, as obvious as why are we doing this uh, sex uh, rape kit on me? What well, you know, is that potential harm to my child? Is there what's the positive? What's the negatives with it? And you educated yourself. And I think now today, I ask you, you probably are glad you did that because the results are one of the things that pushed this case in the direction it should have gone. In the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I get it. And uh, when you say shunning, I just can't stress enough. Anna, everybody we've interviewed in the last two years, over 200 individuals, right? I can't, to me, when I first heard about what shunning was two and a half years ago on Daisy's case, right? I didn't give it the merit it deserved. And now when you hear an Amish individual is trying to escape the Amish community and they're the fear of shunning is all of a sudden in their purview, that's the worst possible thing that can happen to somebody who's in the Amish community or trying to leave. They're going to be not only uh, disconnected from God for the rest of their life, but their families are going to be everything they care about. It's going to be put in a corner and uh, some will even tell you that they're going to hell if they leave. If you're shunned, yeah. your entire family, or if you go to law enforcement, will go to hell forever. And they believe that because they're just not, they, they haven't been educated in that, in that direction yet. They only know what they've been told within some of these Amish communities. And Elizabeth, you went on, you educated yourself, right? Ordering newspapers. You didn't have internet. You did what you needed to do so that you could give yourself strong, viable, accurate information. And you, you build up a war chest. Uh, you had incredible ammunition. And I think not just to, to protect yourself, but your seven boys, right? They're never yeah, going to forget did. what you did. Yeah. That, that's just amazing. But yeah. And so strong, especially, I think, again, people don't realize it. It's horrible to be in crisis and to be a victim. And then, but, you know, people outside of the Amish community may not have to lose everything that you need to lose, meaning you would lose everything, your family, your community, every possible support. No one would stand by you. You know, your, your parents did, but even that cost you. You know, I know it, it's been a rough go. So once you, you once you had the examination, the forensic examination that showed that you had clearly been physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, um, you told your story to police, then was Willis arrested? What happened next? Yes, he was. Um, my baby was actually born two weeks, not quite two weeks after I left. And at that time, I was living in LaGrange County because the, an Amish couple from Topeka, Indiana, came down to Adams County at the women's shelter and brought me and my boys to their house. And we lived there with them for two, two and a half months. And the day that my baby was born is the day Willis was arrested. And he was arrested. I um, did a personal protective order as well. And two, two weeks later, after my baby was two weeks old when we had that first hearing. And I still remember how scared I was. And knowing, like, I didn't have an attorney. I didn't know that I, I would be allowed to have one because the Amish were very much against getting attorneys. So I went to court with only a victim advocate and the guy that Dave Chubb, he, he's an awesome Amish guy. 
that he went with me and then the prosecutor of Adams County, Jeremy Brown, he didn't have to be in court with me. Absolutely not, because he was with the criminal case and this was my personal own protective order that I had filed. But he sat there in court with me and he even intervened for me a couple times and asked the judge if I could go to my house and get more clothes and food and stuff, my canned goods and different belongings. So the judge made a time window that I could go and get it. So yes, I had an awesome experience with law enforcement, with the court system in Adams County that not everybody has. And I am very thankful for it. Once Willis was arrested, um, help us to understand oh, over the next you know few weeks, few months, what was happening with your family, his family? Was even though there was a protective order, was Willis trying to talk to you? Were his parents and your parents trying to, or anyone intervening or pressuring you to drop everything? Yes, the Amish people absolutely wanted me to drop everything, and. They actually went, the Amish people went and sent Willis out to Pennsylvania at Whispering Hope. So let's explain here. But Whispering Hope, my understanding is this is a uh, facility that Willis went to for what purposes? Run by whom? It's run by the Amish and Old Order Mennonites out in Pennsylvania. And they are not licensed at all. Um, no licensed counselors there. Um, the purpose was for him to get help so that he would recover from his abusive behavior. And But the real purpose behind it was so that they could tell the courts, the judge, that they will put him through so-and-so program and make sure that he gets punished or gets help for his abusive behaviors. They will hold him accountable so that the judge will let him off the hook. So, while, I, so Elizabeth, so while your husband Willis has now been charged and is at one of these facilities run by Mennonites and Amish that's uh, you know, supposedly uh, to rehabilitate him and help him. Clearly, the man does need help. I mean, no one is questioning that. But if you're not in the hands of true professionals and the whole purpose is, you know, to subvert the system, th that's where I, uh, I, I get very upset with that. So while he's there working on himself in the Amish way, whatever that means, are you being pressured by anyone to take him back and again, drop this. Cause I think this is the really, this is the crux of the problem here. Right, Lewis? Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's it, their, their goal here is to use this unaccredited, unlicensed mental facility to not just reprogram if, if it even includes Willis or suspects, uh, but Elizabeth's mindset, right? To get her to drop that restraining order before they can accept her back and combine that with the threat of possibly being shunned. And I don't know about this specific facility that uh, Elizabeth was exposed to, but I know that we have discovered many, many other facilities just like this 
um, where they're not accredited. They're practicing medicine and distributing medication um, unlicensed uh, from people that have just been tapped on the shoulder by the, some of these Amish commuters that you're, help us push our beliefs on the people we send your way. Uh, it, it's just something I can't, that, that it's happening right now as we speak in 2023. It deserves a lot more attention. Did they well, try to get you to go to one of these places, Elizabeth? Oh, yeah, they did. Um, back when I was still, before I ever left, um, in was between the time of me after being at Rest Haven and before I called the police. In that time, one night the ministers came over because of some things that had happened, and I had a friend that called the police. So I was punished in church because the police came out. And anyway, the next night, the bishop and one of the ministers show up and they tell me that they're going to, if things don't start getting better, they're going to send us both away. And I told them, I said, I'm not leaving my kids again. I was gone for seven weeks and I promised my kids I would never leave them like that again. Said, and I'm not going. And I asked them where they're planning on sending us. And they said that we will tell you once, you know, we decide. And they said, but we've had dealings with this place before and it's a good place. And I, in telling me that they might as well have told me that where it was because I knew the lady that they tried to get to go there before. And it was out in Whispering Hope at Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. So I told them, I said, you guys, he can go. I said, Willis can go. You can send him, but I'm not going. And they told me, the bishop told me that if we vote with the church and everyone is agreed, you are going. And I looked at him and I said, Ruben, I said, if I say I am not going, I'm not going. And I said, I'm not leaving my kids. And he said, we'll take care of your kids. He said, people will take turns in taking care of them. And I told him, no, you're not getting my kids. Who are these people? Who are these people to try and commit you to a facility that we believe is unlicensed, unaccredited? Who are these people to to try and institutionalize another human being outside of the legal system? Who are these people? You can't do this. No, you can't. I have to ask, Elizabeth, when you said they punished you in church, what is this during an actual service? They called you out in front of the congregation? They came over um, the like couple nights before church. The Sunday we had church, and they wanted me to do a confession about. Um, I don't know. I know the Amish way of saying it is so different from how the real world says it, but it was in fighting with my husband. So they wanted me to do a confession on that. And then because the police had been there and I, I literally argued with them and told them that I'm not doing it. And then finally, that's where I came to realize, you know, I will never 
ever change these people. And it'll always be a brick wall coming up against them. You know what? I'll go do a confession, but from here on out, and I know this was in September of 2016, but from here on out, I'm making preparations to leave. And I did. But I had to get down on my knees and say that I am sorry for what I did and I will try to do better in front of um, every member of the church that was there that day. So wrong. Yeah, so wrong. So many levels. But that that part there is when they when the bishop told me Reuben Swartz was the bishop from Adams County. When he told me that they will take my kids, and I looked at him and I said, you won't get my kids. Said, there's no way. And he told me, he said, don't you know who I am? I have the power and authority to make you go. And if you don't listen, I will punish you. And I told him, I don't care. You can punish me. I'm not going. We, we have seen that threat before in other Amish communities. Yeah. Where the Amish church tries to create separation between a parent or parents from the children with the threat of go do what you got to do. Keep the kids here. Um, and once that happens, it's almost impossible to get your children back. I'm so glad you stayed strong and kept your kids with you. Was that something that ever crossed your mind that if you separated from those kids, that, that it might be permanent? Right. I, I knew, like, okay, when I was at Rest Haven, they, um, when I left to go there, we had agreed, Willis and I had agreed that they would stay at my parents, and he could go there, um, spend time with there, spend nights there, whatever, but that is where they would stay. Well, once I was at Rest Haven, a couple of days later, him and his dad, Willis and his dad, came to my parents' house and took the kids, and then they took them back and forth however they wanted to. And it really messed them up. When I came home, my oldest son was in first grade, so he was seven at the time, and he cried, and he said, Mom, please never leave us like that again. And I knew they would brainwash them if I ever left again like that. They would brainwash my kids that I am a mean, evil mother and woman. Horrific. Horrific what you've been through. Elizabeth, so, um, you know, take us through the process of, was it, did Willis actually end up taking um, a plea deal? Was he convicted? What ended up happening with Willis's case against you? We want to be clear about uh, the charges. He was, he was arrested on January 23rd. He was charged with sexual assault at a level three felony in Indiana. He ended up, was there a trial or did he just plead guilty? Was there a deal? He, he pled guilty. Um, did a 10-year plea agreement. And prior to that, I I have never been aware of this, but the Amish people say that he was offered a three-year plea, plea agreement. And the prosecutor never, ever, like, made me aware of anything like that. 
I know that at the beginning he had talked about a 13-year plea agreement, and Willis had declined it. So the agreement was what the actual sentence was, was 10 years in prison, two years suspended, and he was scheduled to serve eight years. How long did he actually serve? Well, then he went in and he automatically gets another two years knocked off. And then he enrolls into programs, does his GED, and he actually only served a little over four years. He was sent, he was sentenced and arrested in June of 2017 and August of 2021, he was released on home detention. He had his sentence modified. Home detention. And then he was required to register as a sex offender. And Lewis, you looked at his registry. I did, I did. Yeah, he's uh, registered for life apparently. Uh, And he's registered as a violent predator. Yes, so, he is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's not too uncommon that at some point uh, he and I know this because you're preparing yourself, you're educating yourself, Elizabeth. Uh, he may try to, to to seek some type of visitation rights, whether it's uh, supervised as I'm with the children. Um, I, and that's something that you're you're going to educate yourself about. I'm I'm absolutely sure as to what your rights are and how to deal with that when that happens. Um but right now he he is a registered offender and i believe he has to stay away not just from you but all of your boys right he, that, there's a court yeah. order place for that is, is there that- is there a court order now the the um judge actually went and took put in a no contact order with his um sentencing that day because of uh, the courtroom was packed with amish people and they were all there in support of him in support, in support of the man who has just pleaded guilty to a violent sexual offense. Right. Tell me this is not screwed up. Right. It's, it, it, yeah. And look, have we seen that before, Anna? Right. And I'm sure Elizabeth has where they the, yes, Amish the courtrooms with the, the Amish to support the suspect and not just to support the suspect. But what else does that do? It puts even more intimidation on the victim. Part of yes, the show, the whole town won't even. You come to those doors, they won't even look at you in the in your eyes. They will completely turn their heads. Right? It's just, it, it's there. It's mm, it's a community effort when these things happen. We'll talk about that more in a bit. And the one thing I want to point out with talking about the no contact, we do actually next week um, have a court hearing coming up where he Willis asked to have the no contact order modified on my family because at this point he's not allowed to even talk to my my mom and dad and my siblings i i didn't know that had been included until about a year ago but he's not allowed to talk to them or see them so he's asking to have that modified and also on the boys, my seven sons have the no contact order modified where he can start out with supervised visitation. And then he wants his probation terms and sex offender status modified. He ah, has of course he does. Yeah. He has a six page safety plan written up, probably with the help of his three attorneys, 
and has six people on there, his mom and dad, his brother and his wife, and Eli Shetler and John Shetler, his pop, two guys that are power of attorneys for him, that those six would be his accountability team. And when the prosecutor called me, or the victim advocate from the prosecutor's office called me about this about two months ago, and I told her my first problem with it is the accountability team. They will never hold him accountable. Ever. Right. It's but a shame. The other thing is he's asking for a sex offender modification because he's Amish and he thinks he deserves it because he's following all the rules. And I told her, I said, in another year, if you modify all of this in another year or even before that, he has a pattern of this where he wants to come back and ask for another modification of something else. And I told her, he's going to keep this up. If you guys keep giving in, he's going to keep it up until he has everything removed. What is the status of your marriage? Are, are you divorced? Um, the divorce is pending. It's not finalized yet because of this court hearing coming up. See, in the divorce, we don't have any custody issues at all because of the state's no contact. So he can't bring any custody things. It's automatically that is resolved. Oh, and Elizabeth, didn't you tell us that after Willis got out of prison, even though there was the restraining order and the no contact order, that that you were being pressured to take him back? Who, yes. who pressured you to take this man back? The Amish church. The Amish people. Yeah. And here, here's the other thing that be, right before I left the Amish, almost a little over a year ago, there were Amish people that wanted to go see him. And they said, if he has good things to say about you, we will come back and tell you. And I told them, I said, you can't do that. There's a no contact order. There's, you can't. And they were like, well, who would find, like, how would, how would the judge ever know? How would these people ever find out that we did that? Who's going to tell them? That is how much respect they have for law enforcement and think how much above the law they are. Unbelievable. Now, how, who, I'm who sorry, please. His, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, who paid for his three attorneys? His dad and the church. And did you get any help? No. Hmm. Yet, well, from the Amish, while I was still Amish, they had a benefit fund set up for me. But with that came a form of control as well. This is our money. And we want to know where it all goes. Yeah. Right. To they, keep you Amish because they didn't yeah. want you to leave. They didn't want you to continue, you know, with the legal battle and the criminal case. Yeah, it was it was all a coordinated effort to pressure and manipulate you. This is insanity. You are the victim of a violent sexual assault. And somehow it is all your fault and everybody rallies ar around the man who attacked you. This is beyond me. It is beyond me. And, and I'm only one of the very, very many women living like that. I'm only one voice 
that I'm only one of the many, many women that stepped out. The others are still there and trying to fight their way through. And some are shut down so much. They, they just go along and ride along. They just take the abuse. Yeah. You're a special person, right? People are watching what you're doing, Elizabeth. You know, I'm sure you're going to get positive feedback. Someone saw the path you generated, you took, and they're following your footsteps because you're going to make it easier for the next person. And, and that's probably already happened. Um, that's the goal. That's, that's what I hope that happens. Yeah. I do. I, I, I honestly hope it does. Elizabeth, how has this affected your relationship with your family? Have your parents been shunned as well? They were harassed very much. I call it harassment. They, um, my parents don't like it when I call it that, but I do because that's what it is. They were harassed to the point where they sold their place back in 2017 and moved out of the community. But then a couple months later, they moved back to the Adams County community. They moved back into the community? Yes, just in a different church district. So um, I think Elizabeth, um, I wanna make sure that we share with everyone not just this horrific part of your journey, but also there have been many blessings along the way and an incredible level of growth for you. Because, you know, Amish women are not educated because the Amish don't believe in educating their girls in particular. And so not only did you educate yourself, I mean, think about it. You didn't even have a phone to call the police. You had to go to a neighbor's house. Your life has changed so dramatically. Like in the last year, not only did you leave the Amish, you got your GED. We, you learned to drive. Lewis and I were there the day that your minivan was delivered to your house, your very first vehicle ever. I took the video of it. We're going to show it because I just couldn't believe it. And you're standing there holding the keys. So joyful. Such a great moment for you. So what's this, Elizabeth? This is my first car ever. My first minivan. And I just bought it. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. And the thing is, I cashed off my first vehicle that I bought. Like It was paid for. I didn't have car payments. Well done. And I don't have that one anymore. I now just last week bought a 2018 Yukon. And to me, it's almost a dream because that's the kind of vehicle I always wanted, and I never thought I would be able to actually afford one. And I, I bought my own place, which I had bought my own place back in 2020. And I sold that one in September and bought another three acre with a house and attached garage. And I moved, and now I get this vehicle and I apply for a loan and the loan goes through without any problems. I don't need a co-signer and I'm just on cloud nine because I'm like, I never thought I would be able to actually do it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> a lot of folks can do it. You got it done. No. 
It's, yep. it's incredible. It's just like, it you know, to see your growth for us has just been such a joy for you to share this with us because we've seen it, you know, to, to, <laughs> to go from, you know, living a life where you, you know, I think in your last home, did you, do you have electricity now? Your last home, you had a generator yeah, when we visited? I did not have electricity. I only had a generator. Do you have electricity now? Yes, I do. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Comes in handy. (laughs) You have Wi-Fi, you have a phone, you have computers. I have a TV. (laughs) It's it's amazing. I mean, my, my God, so much. I am so, I am so humbled that you have shared your story with us and that you have let us in. You are such an inspiration to have done all of this in the face of adversity, and you still smile and you have light within you. Yes. You know, um, I know that probably many people that will watch this, they might not be believers in Jesus, but I always say, Jesus is the reason for my smile, for my joy, I would not be where I am if it wouldn't be for God. He never once let me down. Every time when I thought I was to the end where I didn't have any way to turn, I call those the Red Sea moments because God parted the waters for me just like he did for the Israelites when they came to the Red Sea and thought they had to go back. Just such an inspiration. Honestly, I'm just, I'm, and you're, you know, you were so kind to open your home to us and we had some time with your family, your beautiful boys. Um, my gosh, you know, I, I just think you are just one of the strongest women I've ever met. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah. Just, you know, Elizabeth. I have some awesome kids though. You do. Do. do they're beautiful your boys are beautiful 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 young men and um you know and just you know again it's so hard for me to 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 see like where you were and where you are now again when we met you 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 were getting around by horse and buggy and there's no way you could fit seven children in that lewis and i were in the back of the buggy with you we went for a ride right <laughs> that was truly an experience yes you did yes we did And I'm like, how do you get seven children in here, get the groceries and do everything? Your life has changed so dramatically. I do have a question, though, about Amish. So you're not Amish anymore. But are there parts of you within you and in your heart because of how you grew up and your family and your friends? I mean, is there a part of you that is still Amish and and that you either miss or you honor? Absolutely. Um, I will forever... I always say I'll forever be grateful in growing up Amish. I love the lifestyle. Like that's the part I miss is the lifestyle we had with um, getting together with family and being there for each other, helping each other out. And the plain evenings we had together, like in growing up, Um, my siblings and I, and my mom, my dad was totally not a singer. He would sit there and listen, but during the summertime, we would sit on our front porch and we had a huge front porch 
And we would sit there and we would sing together as a family. And dad would tell us that we're worse than a radio because a radio you can turn off, but you can't turn your guys off. That and just just the whole thing. Um, I love like our Amish church meals. There were the horses. If I could afford it, I would still have my horses. They were more like my pets than my way of transportation. I just love like the way I grew up, everything about it. The community, how we came together to help each other. And if there's a funeral or a wedding, like you didn't worry about how you were going to get done or how things are going to be taken care of. People just stepped up and did it. They came together and helped each other out. And I, I tell my boys, like, I had to work a whole lot harder than they had to have to now, like when I grew up. But then my older boys, they did, they do remember that life because they are old enough that they lived that. And I tell them they're spoiled now. And they tell me, no, mom, we are not. We're just thankful for what we have now. And, you know, that gave me a different perspective of it as well, because I never thought of it like that. I was just like, you guys are so spoiled and not having to do laundry the way I used to always have to do it. It's a whole lot harder, but to me, I always had such joy. I love doing laundry that way that I didn't have a washer and dryer. Um, actually, when I grew up where we grew up, we had one of the rub-a-dub-dubs where we had to do it by hand. <laughs> oh my God, Elizabeth, the life that you have lived is unbelievable and such an inspiration. And, you know, Lewis and I are blessed uh, to know you and um, our continued relationships um, it's a blessing to know you guys as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're very touched by that. We really are. Elizabeth, thank you for sharing your story. We wish you the best. And as always, we'll, I love that we text. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I do too. All right, Elizabeth, best to you, your family, your boys, much safety in your life. Thank, thank you. So, Anna, part of what really just comes to the top when I ever hear uh, Elizabeth speak about her story, she's so honest and just rooting for her and her amazing seven kids. Um, but we hear those stories over and over and over again. A lot of what she said has resonated with us because of other cases we have personally looked into. So part of that, just like Elizabeth, I, I tried to educate myself on Amish communities and what drives their beliefs and why law enforcement chooses not to get involved or only get involved in a certain way, minimal at best sometimes. And I had to ask myself, because people kept saying, well, they sound like a cult. They sound like a cult. They sound like a cult. Now I want to be very careful with that, right? I'm not saying the community that Elizabeth is in is a cult, but I see consistencies with other Amish communities throughout the country. And just it, it, as of 2022, and there's 32 states that have Amish communities. 
there's about 400,000 Amish in the U.S., just in the U.S. So I, to have so many consistencies between each parish, each different uh, uh, community, it's very telling. But one of the common threads I see there, I'm going to read this to you, because what I did, I went out and I contacted six of the most world-renowned international cult experts, and I ran some things by them, and I did. I read a lot of what they wrote. What I want to read to you is something from Steve Eichel. He's a world-renowned international cult expert and psychologist, and he's president of the International Cultic Studies Association. He gave me six points, things that you need to identify first, and then after these, if you answer these yes, you might be in a cult. Things to consider. So I'm going to read this to you. Number one says, beware of any kind of pressure. That's probably the single most important advice he can give anyone. Any kind of pressure to make quick decisions about becoming involved in any intense kind of activity or organization. Amish, check. Number two. Be weary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight. And of course, divinity. Divinity defined as being or having divine attributes ranking below God, but above humans. Check. Number three, the group is closed. So in other words, although there may be outsiders, outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follows the leader without question. And that maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. Check. Number four, the group uses deceptive means typically to recruit new members. And then once recruited with subjects, will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform or what people refer to as brainwashing. Check. Number five, typically cults also exploit their members, mostly financially. Within the group, they exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and all too often, sexually. Check. And the last one, a very important aspect of cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. This is important, and it's important to realize that people outside a cult are potential members. So they're not looked upon as negatively as people inside the cult who made decision to leave the cult. Checkmate. So they are careful with what they put out to the general public and because they still want to bring people into their numbers, into their flock. And if you are part of that membership and you leave, all of a sudden you're shunned and they, throw, they do everything they can to take all credibility away from you. And so yeah. if you don't take the waters for anybody else, there's a lot of consistencies here. So I, I, it's just amazing. This is 2023 and everything I just read to you, all those six points is things I have seen absolutely true at most of the communities who I have been part of investigations into them. It's mind blowing. I, I think what is so hard that we have learned is the position that the person who's trying to flee for safety is put in. Not only are they in a dangerous situation, but they are in a separate dangerous situation that they are about to be cut off from everything that they have and their entire support group, which is what's very important here in the domestic violence shelter area. 
that, you know, Elizabeth shared how eventually she got moved to the home of an Amish family. Because think of the disconnect. You come from this world, you live a certain way, and then you pull this family and these children from this dangerous situation. You need to have a safe house that also supports to a degree Amish sensibilities or cultures. So the transition period, which is very frightening and difficult, has things that are culturally supportive for the victims and the survivors here. And that's what makes it so hard because they'll go from, you know, you don't have electricity, you don't have anything, you don't talk to strangers, all of a sudden, you know, you're in a house with lights, a television. It's frightening, it's jarring, it's emotionally overstimulating and physically. So, you know, these are all the things that we are learning about this closed community. Right, right. And what you just described is one of the reasons, the main reasons why they end up going back. They're going back to what's comfortable to them, what they know is safe perceive as safe um and it's just a vicious cycle they just keep you know going halfway house rehab center whatever you want to call it uh yeah so so now we want to talk about what we think is a is a very important case a precedent-setting case it's a tiny case that nobody's covered you know only people in the amish community that's why we're aware of it and it's important because Elizabeth described all of this intimidation that she received from church leaders, the church supporters, this constant pressure, constant pressure to change her mind, drop the criminal case. So this next case we're going to talk about is also from Indiana, from Elkhart County. This is where a bold maverick of a prosecutor is fighting to protect Amish women and children who are being abused. Prosecutor Vicki Becker, shocked the establishment when she did something that no one else before her has dared to do, not only in her county, her state. After she filed these charges and she got a conviction, she got calls from around the country from other prosecutors saying, how were you able to do this? How were it seems simple, but it's not something that's used. What she did was she filed intimidation charges, criminal charges, misdemeanor charges against three Amish bishops. The the prosecutor put the three bishops on trial last year in May of 2022. The three of them were convicted. Okay. Do you know how important that is? What she basically said to the community, right? Shot across the bow. She said, you cannot in the name of God or anything else, try and intimidate a witness in a criminal case, who's being abused, who is a victim, to change and drop restraining orders and all these other things just because you think the woman should stay married. Yeah, she did something that we haven't seen in zero other cases. You're absolutely correct. She's the first one to do this nationally. And, you know, it's not just a message to the community, but a message to law enforcement that we can do this. You can fight this and prosecute these charges for intimidation and be successful in it. You don't have to follow the norm because this is the way we've always treated it. Send them back to the community so that the Amish can deal with their own. We And that's just not a, 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 even a feasible solution, yet it happens. She is a trendsetter, a, a, a hero because she's changing lives. I agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, we asked her to come on this program and she said that she couldn't because the case is being appealed. Right. When the conviction um, originally happened, I did have a phone conversation with Prosecutor Becker just to understand 
um, the case a little bit. She was very kind to give me some time, uh, but we have not been able to speak in months because once the appeals were filed, she is prohibited from speaking. And, you know, she wants to um, protect the integrity of her conviction and her case because it really is it really is that important. Uh, here's why it's important, and we're going to get into the details of it. Remember how, you know, there finally there were some some real change in, in, in justice and in criminal justice when um, people started getting prosecuted for, for not reporting the sexual abuse of children as mandatory reporters. You know, right. until prosecutors and police started going after church leaders, teachers, neighbor, you know, that mandatory reporters, we didn't really change the culture. So what ended up happening in the Amish community, Lewis, and we've seen this, some bold prosecutors and police departments around the country, not a lot of them, but some of them in Amish communities started charging the bishops with not reporting the sexual abuse that they became aware of because they're mandatory reporters. So once People started, once the bishops started getting charged, it changed things. It forced the bishops to start reporting and working with police. Otherwise, it's to their own detriment. They're going to get charged. They could get convicted. So that changed things. And that's what Prosecutor Becker is doing here on on the intimidation issue. She gets a conviction. Then maybe she can force them to think twice. What are you going to do? Are you, will it have a chilling effect? And that's the whole point, right? Right, right. And I I think it is having an effect, at least from while that was going on. I mean, the six month we were following the three bishops and we talk about that almost on a weekly basis. Stay in touch. We're watching the three bishops, this case, um, as they go through this progression, because other people within Amish communities were also watching it. Right. They were watching to see how that was going to end up to see if that would give them a bigger platform to move forward. And the challenge of bishops and, and the deacons within their community uh, when it comes when they ever they get uh, uh, intimidated, when they were to threaten with shunning. Right. Drop the drop, drop the uh, uh, restraining order, drop the criminal charges. Right. Or we're going to shun you. I mean, those are all we see that actually, I want to say 99 percent of the cases we've invested within these Amish communities. That's norm. That's the norm. It's not the uh, exception. There, there are always some type of threat in there from upper management, from the leadership in these communities. And where else can that happen? Right. Where, where you're not break, committing a crime. Well, I don't know what happens in the, a lot of the, all these Amish communities, basically. Yeah. They just do whatever they want. I mean, that's how they live. And and the problem is because when you bring religion into the conversation, it it almost paralyzes the police and prosecutors because once you bring a freedom of religion into the conversation, that stops a lot of things. It makes it so complicated. And we're going to get into this case how it everything was done in the name of God. And the judge is like, um, you know what? This This is not about God. This is not about God. And that's why this case is so important and complicated. So according to court records, in June of 2020, three bishops went to the home of Elizabeth Wingard. Elizabeth and her children were living under the protection of a restraining order which prohibited her abusive husband, Jonas, from coming near them. The order was in place from May of 2017 through December of 2022. According to court records, Elizabeth suffered at the hands of her abusive husband for years from domestic violence. This is all from the court record. According to the affidavit to show probable cause, bishops Freeman Hochsteller, Joe Hochsteller and Willard Yoder went to Elizabeth's house and told her that if she didn't drop the restraining order and take back her husband, 
they would ban her, Elizabeth, from the church. She pleaded with them. She said she has to keep her children safe because if she drops the restraining order, the county will take her children away because then she will be seen as endangering, endangering the lives of her children. So she's explaining to them why she cannot take back her abusive husband. Elizabeth told them no, and that's when they got really nasty. And, and according to everything that happened in the trial, Lewis, they didn't deny it. No, they, they thought it was fine. They said, yep, that's exactly what we did. Uh, so they were still condoning what they did in, in, through the jury process or trial process. So Unbelievable. To this day, they'll deny it forever, I'm sure. They, they're it's not going to ways. Just, just incredible. So yeah. according to the affidavit, a few months later, this is after the visit from the three bishops, the church released a defamatory letter which declared Elizabeth was banned or shunned from the church for her, quote, insubordination refusing to let an abusive man back in the home that she quote brought this upon herself just like with elizabeth hilty it's her fault it's her fault the bishop said it was all her fault for not forgiving her husband jonas for abusing her and the children yeah yeah victim blaming it it's worse so yeah and that letter i think ended up being used as evidence against them in court so yes. as it should be as it should be, but they didn't have a problem with it because they kept explaining. <laughs> the, the bishops kept explaining to the judge, oh, but this is God's will that this marriage be held together. A man and woman must be together. Oh, completely missing the whole part about, you know, endangering lives. So, okay, the police then questioned the men. This is, you know, this is the buildup to the case. And according to the police, the three bishops confessed. They said, quote, we are trying to resolve the separation of a husband and wife. That was their focus. Not the safety of the wife, not the safety of the children, you know, not getting Jonas the help that he needs, right? Right, what, right. Completely this, backwards. Completely totally backwards. backwards. And then there's another quote. I mean, the court records are fascinating on this. Um, it said that if there is a restraining order, this is, this is what the bishop said to the police. If there is a restraining order, then you are not in good standing. The word of God doesn't support it. Really? Where is that in the Bible? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, I watched some of this, and then we both did online. We saw this trial proceed online. And one of the things that fascinated both of us, and, and I, you hear about this, but when you see it visually, it's just a whole different impact, is how they packed that courtroom, the three bishops did, with their own Amish congregation. It was packed to the gill to support the three bishops, not the victim. Once again, to support the three bishops and to put even more, more intimidation on the victim. That's a purpose of that. It's and the court and the yeah. judge, the yeah, entire yeah. system, True. Yeah. right? It, yeah, the entire on. system. Yeah. And look, you have a freedom to support whomever you want, right? And that is, the, the, the beauty and sometimes the trouble with <laughs> our system, you can go and, and support whomever, but man, it's just, with something like this, it's all like, it's highly organized. You know, it's highly organized and constant pressure. So 
The, the bishops also said, this is again from the court records, that if Elizabeth wants to be a member in good standing, then she cannot have a restraining order. Who are these three bishops to declare this? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they are so out of touch. <laughs> yeah, so out of touch. And they're the leaders, right? And that's the belief they're putting out there. And that's and it, 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 we call them bullies in other societies. They're bullying their way to get what they want. It's probably worse than that. But who, yeah, they, they absolutely believe in what they're saying. They dropped your restraining order. That, that's just another tool to try to get someone to drop a restraining order under pressure, which is completely illegal. Yes. Yes. So the three of them were charged and they went on trial. The three used their religion as their defense. They mm. admitted that they wanted the restraining order gone and they wanted Jonas back in the house. They admitted that they banned her, that they banned Elizabeth for not complying with their demands. I mean, they admitted it. They didn't deny any of this. This is what's just amazing. So when the judge finally wrote his decision, you know, based on the facts that he had heard and the statements that were made in court, you know, the, the judge's words are very powerful. The judge wrote, quote, Elizabeth was exposed to hatred, contempt, disgrace, and ridicule. She was ostracized from her church community, which resulted in social isolation. The children were banned from Amish schools, and she was banned from shopping at Amish businesses. That is the price she paid for yeah. protecting her children. Yeah, hit her where it hurts, right? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, her to flip her life upside down. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's frustrating, but back to, you know, I, even more light on, it, is this the behavior of a cult? Well, one of the things, and again, you know, we did hear from Elizabeth Hilty, who said she had the most beautiful upbringing, the most beautiful family and childhood memories in a very safe community. And so I think what's important to remind people is that the way the um, Amish churches work or communities is they're individual. You know, they can, they have districts, I think is the way they're called, and they have leaders within that. And depending on who the leader is dictates a lot on how that church operates. And if one is too conservative or one is maybe too progressive, you know, people find not all operate like this, which again is very important to say, because I think the majority of the Amish churches, you know, they are good people. There's a lot of good people in there. There are a lot of good people. And I just want to be clear about that. But there's a lot of problem within the community. And and sadly, the good churches aren't really able to help and kind of mold the ones that have these problems, which, I mean, these are public safety issues. In Elizabeth's perception of her wonderful upbringing in the Amish community and her positive thoughts on that, I, I agree with that. But that's all they allowed her to see as a child. Now that she's gone out to edu and educated herself, she has a whole different version of that. Wonderful memories. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I do know that most of the communities that I've looked into have this cultish behavior. May yeah. not be hers, may not, but I feel very confident saying that. And that's something that, you know, I, I just think really needs to resonate, not just with communities, but a lot of the justice system. There's something going on here where their minds are being tweaked in a way. Groups are made to do things that other groups just wouldn't normally do. 
in supporting a suspect protecting the religion first and not supporting the victim because of religious exemption. That, 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 it's just it's just. Under, it's not fair. It's not here. fair. It's yeah. not fair yeah. under it's under this here. something criminal here. Yeah, Truly criminal. absolutely. Yeah. So the judge also wrote that, quote, the defendants had no regard for the safety of the children or of her. And really, that's that's it. That's the whole point that these church leaders, right, didn't care about her safety, the children's safety. It was just about keeping this marriage together. Right. Everything's lost on them. They're, you know, what's important to them, it, it's it's incredible. So one of the bishops actually said in court that that he didn't believe that Elizabeth Wingard was a victim of domestic violence. Yeah. You're never going to convince him. You have oh, to educate no. the rest and the kids growing up and the youth in those communities. You will never change that man's mind. No. No, because I'm. I don't think the conviction has changed their minds at all. It might change maybe someone else, you know, to think more thoughtfully before trying to intimidate. Maybe we don't. That's what we're hoping. We're hoping if this stands, that it gives other prosecutors the idea to go forward with this and start charging these cases to start, you know, enforcing the law. This is the law, the rule of law in this country. You don't get your own separate justice system because you're Amish, even though they are, in effect, doing that. So the judge said that the defendants, quote, showed no understanding of the trauma that she had suffered through many years and continue to suffer on through the date of this offense. That's right. They had... No regard for her. So the judge found them guilty of intimidation, a class A misdemeanor on June 6th of 2022. They were sentenced in August. They were each given a year of jail time, which was suspended, plus one year of probation and a very strict order to have no contact with the victim and her children in this case. As far as we know, Elizabeth Wingard remains banned and shunned from her community and continues to be victimized for being a victim. The case is on appeal. Yeah. What do you make of this, Lewis? Of course, it's on appeal. Who's paying for that? They have nothing to lose. Um, yeah. So she's Elizabeth is still in the community. So every time she, she's getting probably harassed, intimidated on a daily basis, all those are crimes. All you need to cut it at the court at the beginning. They started that. So I'm hoping they finish what they started and the justice system is consistent with the theme that witness intimidation is not acceptable. Um, it, you know, shunning is, is a huge tool. And I bet uh, to some level degree, they're still trying to get her to write a letter of recantation or something that, no, well, that's not quite what I, to, to put it more the blame on herself than the suspect and the three bishops in this case. Yeah. Um, Nothing's going to happen until the justice system starts being consistent with handling these cases like they handle every other case of domestic violence, child abuse, rape outside of these Amish communities. Um, And we just haven't seen consistency there, Anna, just not consistent. And and that's what needs to happen. Um, Yeah. And that's why I applaud Prosecutor Becker on this case, because um, she's really trying to fight the good fight. And she's the one who has these women come in to her office to talk to her and her prosecutors about these cases. And so many of them can't go forward because they're scared. They're being intimidated. This is the world that she lives in. So I, I hope that this case 
has a chilling effect. I hope it is part of the change that we need to see because what we discuss all the time on this podcast is what is justice? How how should it look? We know that communities determine a lot of what happens within a criminal case, um, but it's this is just not okay. This no. is just, it's just not okay. Um, Lewis, I want to thank you for this great conversation today and this journey that we've been on uh, that we're not done with. I, I just want to share one little story when Lewis and I were in Indiana. So Lewis, you, uh, two years ago, one of the things that you realized was missing was you needed to get the word out about how to get help, like if for children, for women. So you worked on a, a poster you know, that could be either tacked on somewhere or emailed. And I know it's like some Amish have email, some don't. And it was important that this poster be written in Pennsylvania Dutch and in English because some of them don't speak English. And so you and I, we tried to give out some of these, some of these flyers in an Amish community. It didn't go over so well. No, no. They, we, we tried. They we tried. It was, it's step one in a long process, but yeah, trying to hand we tried to hand it to families coming off with literally buggies riding through town, right, yeah. and try to have a discussion. But at least there's a phone number there. It, it's step one, and you know that that thought process of trying to educate the Amish and the children within those communities. All they have to do is have the number and ability to call, which is another hurdle. Uh, but I think that that's a big thing that didn't exist before we got involved two years ago. So right. I, it's a big step. Right. It is. So. We've seen we've seen a lot of improvement. We've seen um, several families who have left, um, who have gotten convictions. That to me is the most gratifying part. Whether you choose, you live your life how you choose. But if you as a survivor are able to get justice and get your attacker and your abuser convicted, that's yeah. what I'm all about. Yeah. And we're going to put that hotline up again. Yes, we um, are. Right. It, it report Amish child abuse, 833-44-CHILD. It's been up and running for two and a half years, and it's going to stay up as far as I'm concerned, as long as we can make that happen. Absolutely. Well, Lewis, as always, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Life with you is always interesting. Never <laughs> boring, huh? Yeah. No. So, Lewis, where can people find you, follow you on social media, reach out to you if the Amish are listening? <laughs> Oh, I know they're listening, right? I know, yeah. Yeah, they're absolutely listening. Uh, my entire social media footprint is at getbitinvestigations.com. Excellent. You can find me at Anna G News. Uh, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see our original podcasts, our episodes on um, the cases, the Amish cases that led to this. If you if if you really want a full picture of what's going on. And of course, you can subscribe to our newsletter through truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. This has been a special episode of True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, whether Amish or not, don't do crime. <laughs>